listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you save your marriage no matter where it is. And right now we're looking at where you are in the relationship. The way we're doing that is by me answering your questions, questions that are submitted by listeners. Now, let me just assure you that there is no way we're going to make it through all of the questions you've submitted. But you might have the question that others have. That's what I'm looking for is that question that may cut across a lot of different people. Now, when I choose one, there's often others that it relates to. And that's one of the things I want to make sure, you know, past couple of uh, times. uh, Now, last time I had an interview on the last um, podcast episode. But before that, we were answering those questions and we were talking about infidelity because that was a big issue for lots of people. And I went through lots of people's uh, uh, questions through that. So if you've got a question you think might be good for other people, I'm really looking for the Goldilocks of questions. That's the one that's just right. So there are those that are way too broad, just, you know, they're, they're too broad. And those are the ones that you might want to turn to some of my resources, like my Save the Marriage system, or you can even check out my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. Those are approaches to saving your relationship that encompass a wide array of areas. Then there are those that are so specific that you're probably actually talking about getting some coaching. And and there are ways we can do that. We do have coaching services, and I do have several online coaching programs that are ways that you can get responses to that. It just, because this podcast goes to people around the world... I want to make sure it applies to lots of different people. This podcast has now been downloaded over 3 million times around the world. So we want to speak to lots of people who are listening and make sure it applies to them. But if you have a question and you think it is the Goldilocks question of just right, then send it to me at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. If you aren't sure if it's right, you can always send it in because here's one of the great things about you formulating your question. When we think in that way, we crystallize our thoughts. One of the ways that we often get clues and get some clarity on where we're stuck is by writing it down. I mean, that's kind of what I do as I'm working through my day. I start the day at the aim of writing a book, but the book helps me clarify my own thoughts because we get so much going around us that sometimes we just need to sit down, take a break, and let that get centered. So today I want to talk about uh, some questions about what do you do when you just can't get a foothold with your spouse for whatever reason. And what we're talking about is not how do you get the foothold as much as how do you manage yourself? Because there's one thing that often happens in the process of you working on a relationship and you not getting any movement from your spouse, and that is that you start taking that on and letting it grow bigger and bigger and expanding into more and more of your life until all you're doing is working on saving your relationship. I have one person that says, I have been spending all of my money on this. I'm about to go broke doing all this. So the person says, and this is 
uh, the, the one of the questions I want to talk about, the fact that they have been doing lots of things, spending lots of money and lots of time and resources only to have, as this person steps forward, the spouse act like they're moving forward and then step away. And so that's the reason. I mean, it's, it's kind of like that uh, you almost won kind of thing, right? I mean, what, what keeps people gambling when every time people go, they're probably going to lose. Maybe they'll win a little bit, but the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the place is going to get it back. The casino is going to win it back. I mean, that, that's really the, the thing. What keeps us going back? We almost get it. We almost get something out of it. We almost get rewarded. There's an interesting little experiment they did, uh, and I, I don't want to compare people to rats, but laboratory rats give us uh, some idea. So what they put is a little lever uh, in the cage. And so the mouse had to do something to you know, get to the lever, maybe go through a maze or complete some puzzle or something, get to the lever, and they would get a treat. And so if they went to that lever and they got a treat, they would do that until they were full, and then they would stop because they'd had enough. But they did the other experiment where the rat doesn't always get the treat. It pulled the lever, you know, do what it had to do and pull the lever and nothing would happen. But other times they would go back and they would pull the lever and they would, they would get a treat. So they couldn't know whether it was going to work or not. In that case, the rats kept going to the lever long after they were full. In fact, they would gorge themselves only because they couldn't count on it. Well, that's kind of what happens with us. You know, you get a little bit of positive feedback, and sometimes that leads us to go overboard. And so as this person is uh, writing in, uh, there's been a marital boot camp and therapy and all kinds of other things, uh, teleboot camps, uh, all kinds of other pieces. And um, so... Here's the thing. You say, my spouse has never been able to open up. I know that you, meaning Lee, hates zero contact. Well, about two weeks ago, I gave uh, my spouse my ring, wrote her a note saying I was letting her go, moved myself into another room. And then you say, we don't really now have the resources to do this. So she's turning to other things, alcohol and medications and all that. So running out of options, I tried physical touch for love language. I get no thank you or anything. So what do you do when there's no support? Um, and so here's the piece. Um, this is going to be true for uh, all of these cases I talk about. There are some pieces that you want to manage and some pieces you don't want to manage. And so let's be very clear about what we can control, right? We can control our part of the equation. The danger is when we overcompensate and try to do what the other person needs to do. This happens all through our lives, though, right? I mean, we, we often will do this. When we see somebody just, if, if we could just step in and do enough, maybe they would pick up and do their own thing. And what generally happens is when we're doing too much, other people do less and less. And so part of the question here is whether you've gotten into uh, the pattern of overcompensating or as I talk about it in the Save the Marriage system, whether you are uh, doing the, the over. Uh, work, right? You're, you're doing more than you need to do. Are you over-functioning, which means that somebody else is under-functioning? Notice, I mean, that, that's the thing about functioning. There, there is a point when it's just everybody's functioning, doing their part. 
But we get into patterns in marriages where one person overfunctions and the other person underfunctions. And here's the little thing about that. Both people have to play that game. I mean, both people have to do that. So there needs to be a place where you say, okay, you know what? I'm going for these big things, right? I'm going for the big telecamps and, and all of those things where my spouse has to step into the process. And this is a very important thing to understand. A lot of the stuff you're talking about requires your spouse to step in at some point. And so what you're trying to do is lure your spouse in. And so she acts like she's coming in and then pulls back. But it's because you've put the situation into places where there's a place for her to prove that she doesn't have to do that, right? That she doesn't have to step into it. So just kind of notice that piece. I'm, now let's go into some other pieces. because I'm, I'm going to come back around to uh, some other parts that I think apply to everybody. Um, so then uh, the next person asks about whether, what do you do? What advice would you give someone to keep them, help them keep on track and dealing with insecurities, anxieties when things aren't working? So this is the common thread. Now we're pulling it down to, what can I do with myself, right, when, when I'm having difficulties here? And so um, this person says, you know, I've done all these, these things, and, and a lot of the other information, in fact, you say um, that, that a lot of the advice, most of the advice and podcasts I've read and listened to seem to always give the advice of treat them like you did when you were dating. Now, I want to be very clear. I doubt you've ever heard me say that. Because I believe that the, the kind of the roots of our issues are buried all the way back there. Part of what happens that gets us in trouble in the present moment has roots in our past in, in almost every situation. That's not 100% true, but it's certainly true in relationships. Relationships that are having difficulties, the roots of those difficulties are not new. And so you can't just go back to the old place and start doing it that way again. The advice you're hearing about, you know, just treat them like you did when you were dating assumes that that was actually you know, working out, right? That that got you to a great place. And, and here we are. The other thing is when you're dating, the, there is this thing called chemistry, that is kicking off this process that is going uh, you know, into a haywire place in our brain that's not going to happen again. The infatuation that people feel when they're at the beginning of a relationship isn't something you can just conjure up later on by doing the same things you did early on. Biologically, there is a shift that happens, thank goodness, because if we all stayed in that dating kind of mindset, <laughs> nothing would get done. So we have to move beyond that, but we have to find a way to keep nurturing the relationship. And the problem is going back to the dating thing, that's not how you do it. That's not how it gets there. So you, both of these last two letters talk about the fact that there is depression going on and what do you do about that? This one adds another piece. You say, I've been doing the love language stuff and my spouse says, stop acting weird and says, I'm capable of doing that for myself. So you say nothing seems to be working. And so uh, I want to just kind of tag in that piece about the love language because specifically I want to answer that when I talk about three pieces that you want to be focused on because that's a feedback about the love language piece. So I want to clarify that uh, in just a little bit. So um, the final thing you say is, what advice would you give someone like me to deal with those types of feelings and keep on track? I'm committed to working on this for my wife and my kids. 
And what you're really doing is you're committed to working on it for the good of the relationship. Let's be clear about that. Your, your kids, uh, a divorce is difficult for kids, but they do recover. And you can't manage for your wife, right? She, I mean, at some point, she's got to step into that. Uh, one of the things that I, I try to clarify for people is you have to really take care of the relationship and not get so wrapped up in trying to take care of the spouse. If you take care of the relationship, you will, by nature, be addressing the needs, hopes, and concerns of a spouse. That's just part of it. But many times when people try to take care of a spouse, what they end up doing is taking responsibilities on for a spouse that they are not capable of doing. And that puts you in a lose situation. The other person doesn't have to do what they need to do. They should be doing. And you're responsible for it. Here's a little clue. Whenever you find yourself responsible over something over which you have no control, like the other person's feelings and emotions and emotional state and thoughts and all of that stuff, you're in trouble. When somebody says, hey, you've got to make me happy, they've made you responsible for something over which you have no control, no power. That's always, always a losing combination. But you can address the needs of the relationship at the same time. Okay, so then there is one more that I just want to key in here before I continue on uh, with this. Uh, so um, the, the question is about, uh, let me just pull it up to make sure I have it, about how you face the burnout, right? Or, or a serious depression or burnout of a spouse. And a lot of what is uh, Im- embedded in these questions is dealing with a spouse who is, uh, has some depression, And that depression can get in the way because depression often is something that people try to fix in a multitude of dysfunctional ways. So one way that people deal with depression is to try to cover it up. Medication, alcohol, affairs, gambling, lots of the stuff that end up being kind of an addictive process are ways that people have tried to self-medicate Depression. Now, let me be clear that there are lots of other places where addiction is not about depression. So let's not go the other way. But you understand that many times people who are suffering from depression find themselves in addictive behaviors trying to compensate for that. So that's the first thing we kind of recognize that that tends to be one way that, uh, that we see medication and that we see alcohol involved lots of times with people who are dealing with depression, which, by the way, only causes more, right? Alcohol is a depressant. So when you're depressed and you add in a depressant, your sum is not going to be at a better place. Medication, especially uh, medication that is supposed to move people up, doesn't help much. And I'm not talking about antidepressants as much here. The antidepressants don't have a great track record, but they can help some people. I, I always want to be clear about that. So at this point, we're talking about when people find other medications to take uh, that, that are, are attempts to feel better. Well, what often happens is that uh, it makes them uh, artificially feel better in one place, and yet there is this underlying shadow of depression in another place that even makes it more of an anxiety-filled place. Then there are those who see the depression as because of a relationship issue or because of something else. So just to be clear, when we're talking about clinical depression, we are not completely sure about what causes it, but it's different than situational depression. 
let's say that I'm working in my dream job and they lay me off. I'm going to feel depressed about that, right? That's because there's a situation that's attached to. Or maybe I have loved doing something all my life and suddenly I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to feel some depression until I figure out how to move beyond that because of the situation we're in. But when we're talking about actually depression, kind of chronic depression, it really has little to do with what's going on around us. In fact, I've many times had people come to my office saying, you know, I'm depressed and I can't figure out why. I mean, life on the outside is going great. My kids are doing great. You know, my, my job's going well. Uh, we're not having any serious difficulties and yet I just feel bad. That is often a good way for us to know that there is a chronic underlying um, depression that is based not in a situational piece, but is more of the clinical depression that is often treated. So one thing that happens in relationships is that somebody's depressed and they go, well, you know what? It must be my relationship. So I'll get rid of that. And so when somebody's trying to work with a spouse who's depressed, realize you're kind of pushing against that. And sometimes that's a lot like, as they say, pushing the noodle, right? It just keeps on kind of crumbling up instead of moving forward because they've got this underlying issue. Okay, so let's tie this in to what I would consider to be the, the, the kind of the three pieces that you want to notice that cuts across these questions. The first one is to make sure you have a plan. Um, one of the ways that we can stay on track is to always make sure that if something's important to us, we've got a plan around it because that gets us through the doldrums that are going to come in the midst of anything that this is, uh, something that a lot of people kind of say, yeah, I've got a plan. And then I start asking, so what does your plan look like? And it turns out that they've got some thoughts. A thought is not a plan. For me, a plan A has to be written down. And B, it has to be fairly specific. Like you can see, are you doing it? For instance, let's say you say, okay, well, my plan is to save my marriage. Okay, well, what are the parts of that? You know, how do you judge that? What, what are the elements that you look at? If you say, my plan is to connect with my spouse, and I'm going to look at that in three different ways. I'm going to look at the physical connection. I'm going to look at the emotional connection. And I'm going to look at the spiritual connection. And under each of those, you say, okay, the way I'm going to connect with my spouse physically is A, B, and C. The way I'm going to connect with my spouse emotionally is A, B, and C. The way I'm going to connect with my spouse spiritually is A, B, and C. That's a plan, especially if you look at that and you say, I can execute that. I can do those things. I can even see the feedback on those things. Let's say your second part of your plan, which it should be, is what are you working on to change yourself? As we look at those pieces of what we're doing to change ourselves, not change our spouse, but change ourselves, then you can look at different ways that you want to grow and expand. And are they specific enough? You, you say, you know what? I've realized I've gotten stagnant. I used to have this great hobby. I used to love photography or whatever, scuba diving or uh, pool playing or sculpture or painting or jujitsu or, you know, whatever else it might be. And I haven't done that. And I've realized that I've lost the energy around that. So part of my plan to change is to get back into that. That's something you could manage. Or you may say, you know what? I've realized that I'm not bringing my best self physically to this. I've, I've allowed myself to gain some weight and I'm not eating well and I'm not resting well and I'm all stressed out. So I'm going to decide to go back to exercising and eating, you know, a, a better diet and, getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night, all of those are specific things that you can then activate. 
So then you might look at the third area about how do you uh, create a new path. Now, the new path that I'm talking about is how you see the two of you as being a we, a team, a unit, right? So you look at the areas where your thought process may not be so much around that. And, and some areas you can do that really clearly are about money, about parenting, about sex, uh, about how you see resources, about how you see your dreams and expectations and hopes fitting together. All of those are ways that you can think more about how to be a we. Now, not to have your spouse come on board, but how you can think in that process. So that plan, that written plan, I find to be one of the best ways of staying on track. One of the things that I do for members of my VIP program, and and by the way, if you don't have the system, when you're getting the system, one of the things I'm going to offer you is a free week of that VIP. Grab it. It is the one time when you get free access for that week. And during that week, you can start using the Thrive Journal, which is a a method I uh, give for people to track themselves each day on a daily basis. In the morning, how do you want to be that day? At the end of the day, how did you do? With specific steps to fill it out. I mean, it is a fill-in-the-blank plan for how your day is going to unravel in terms of you being your best self. Another piece of that is I have a fill-in-the-blank plan. If you're sitting there going, yeah, I need a plan, but I don't have one. I don't know how to, how to create one. Guess what? I have a template for you to step right through. All you have to do is grab that free week when you uh, grab the system. Now, if you passed on that and you realize that you really do need some resources, maybe you didn't realize it at the time, you can still join. Just let me know about that, and you can join. In fact, you can learn more about that and even join by going to savethemarriage.com slash coaching. That's savethemarriage.com slash coaching. That whole page is about our different coaching services, and one of them is this VIP virtual coaching program. So that's a way of kind of shortcutting and getting going on that. Okay, so a plan is often what we rely on. I mean, if you think about that, isn't that how we manage anxiety a lot of the time? If you are, for instance, let's say you're a pilot, You've planned on what you do when things go wrong, so you follow your plan. You don't follow your emotional reactions. You don't follow your fears. You follow your plan. And by doing that, you stay on track. Part of what we're trying to do is create a place where you're functioning at a higher level because you're following what you know you need to do, not what you feel. So part of the way you can build in, and this is the second part of this answer, is to make sure you're really taking care of yourself. Self-care is important in this process because it allows you to keep going. Sometimes I watch people try to save their relationship, and they are treating it like a sprint, an all-out sprint, an all-out assault. And one of the things you have to realize is this can take a while. It's much more of a marathon, which, by the way, You should train around, you know, you could prepare for it, you you make sure you're managing yourself. I'll give you another way of thinking about it. In jiu-jitsu, one of the rules we have is that you want to manage your energy. So last night I was at a uh, rolling uh, uh, session, which basically means after class we get together and, and we roll and, you know, you're in this particular class, you have gloves on and a mouthpiece on, and you can lightly strike the other person. You're trying to give them some experience of being in a fight. 
And so in this fight sim, part of what you're trying to do is manage your energy. One of the things that I'm constantly trying to do is manage my energy because here's what I know. If I go all out for the first, let's say, minute, minute and a half, which is about all most people can do all out in a fight, and the match is going on for five minutes, I'm done long before the match is over. And what if I'm going up against somebody who is much better at managing that energy? Who's going to outlast? Who's going to win? Not because the other person is better necessarily, but because they can last longer. And so last night I had the opportunity. I I had uh, three different opponents who had three different energy levels. One person is uh, excellent and kind of my model for how to manage that energy level. He doesn't move fast. He doesn't move explosively. He doesn't use his strength. He uses technique and he uses his mind to move slowly forward. And I told someone afterwards, it's kind of like if an anaconda grabs you. It's not going to be fast, right? But you know that they've got you. They're going to squeeze you down and eat you fat, eat you slowly, but they're going to get you. They don't have to move fast to do that. I had another person who went all out. And uh, fortunately for me, I was managing my energy better. So at one point when I finally had him on the mat, he looked up and he said, so are you okay to keep going? I'm like, I'm perfectly fine. And it turned out he needed a break because he'd been going all out. Then I had another person who got me to use more of my energy to wear myself out, taking advantage of it at the last minute when I could no longer have the energy to keep going. Different ways of managing energy. We all have it, but we got to make sure we're managing our own, and that's the self-care piece. And I often think about the self-care piece around certain pieces. For instance, are you making sure that you get a certain amount of exercise? Something that keeps you challenged but doesn't wear you out. Are you eating well? Meaning staying away from carby, sugary food, but eating things that give you, you know, good levels of energy. Are you resting well? Meaning are you getting at least seven hours of eight, not eight or nine hours of rest every night? So you have the energy, you're refilling your batteries each night. Are you de-stressing however you need to? Are you meditating or are you, you know, finding some other outlet for your stress so that you can keep going? Those pieces allow you to manage your anxiety better, but more than that, to manage your energy better so you can keep moving forward. Now, the last piece I want to talk about is specific uh, to the recovery process, which is that you start learning to speak your spouse's love language. It's so important. I love the idea from Gary Chapman. I had a great interview from, with him for several years back, but uh, that, in that interview, all I was talking about were things that I have long believed that it's such a masterful idea of speaking a spouse's love language, knowing how they want to and most likely feel love. It's, it's how they show the whole world that they love them, but specifically, are you speaking it to them? Because often there's a mismatch in our love language. And we just got to figure out how to speak their love language. One of the clues that we're doing it well is when it somewhat goes unnoticed by a spouse. You do their love language and they don't go, oh, thank you so much for doing that. Or they don't say, as was in this email, wow, that feels weird, right? You're doing something weird here. Stop acting that way. When somebody says stop acting that way, we know that we haven't spoken their love language well. And we need to reflect on how that is. Why does it feel forced to them? Why does it feel that we're acting some way that's different than us? Because if it's really, if we're able to really hit their love language, 
because it speaks love to them, they shouldn't even really notice that something has changed. It's this place where you, know, you realize you've gotten by their, their barrier because that's just how they know to feel love. Now, sometimes we have to speak their secondary love language because their primary love language, they really have blocked from you. They really are onto the fact, if, for instance, physical touch. If your thing is physical touch and you are trying to distance from someone, if they try to touch you, you're going to notice it right off. So then there's a secondary love language you're going to look for until they are more receptive to the primary love language. So when you're speaking that and somebody calls you on it, it tells you either that they have blocked it or that you're not quite right on the love language, and you want to think about that and reflect about that, and that should be in your plan. Which brings us back to that plan. You know, the, the bottom layer of this is that there is always going to be some anxiety and fear about this. Why? Because anxiety and fear appears when we're dealing with something that's important to us. It's the sign to you that it's still important. It's the sign to you that it matters. So accept that and then keep moving forward. And the way to do that is to make sure you have your plan in place. And to have uh, some clear plan in there, in that same plan, about how you're going to take care of yourself. So if you're at the place where you realize you need to step more into this, first of all, grab the Save the Marriage system. I don't say go back to dating. I promise you that's not what I suggest. In fact, that's uh, an area that I never have suggested. So it's not about that. If everything else has been telling you that, don't listen to it, do this. If the, everything else has been telling you, do the no contact thing, don't do that. That's not good advice either. But grab the system because it's built on how you can shift things by working on the connection and shift other things by working on who you are in that process. You can find that by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. And uh, when you're there, remember, as you grab the system, grab that free week of VIP to give it a try. And if you need the VIP program, just go to savethemarriage.com slash coaching, savethemarriage.com slash coaching. Now, we do expect that when you're jumping into coaching with us, that you have the system already down. Here's why. Coaching is not like, it's, it's not cheap. It's, it's very valuable, but it's it's not cheap. Um, I'll tell you that. And so we don't want to spend our time trying to get you up to speed on the system that you can get much more affordably and be ready to go. And it also gives you a very clear platform to work from. So we're trying to take the platform and get it applied to you. If that makes sense, savethemarriage.com slash coaching, or if you need the system, savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.